Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Good morning, Sunrise. So glad to be able to worship with you. My name is Steve Garcia. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are first-time guests. Uh, we're so glad that you came to be here with us at our Rialto campus. Special hello to all of you who are watching at our online campus. And if we haven't gotten a chance to meet, I'd love that opportunity. Just after service, I'll be out in the courtyard area here, and love it if you'd come up and introduce yourself, especially if you're a first-time guest. And uh, if I'm not out there, it's because I'm going to be over in the Exploring Sunrise uh, class. I'll be one of the teachers there after church today. Would maybe would love to see you there as well. Well, last night uh, was just such an awesome event here at Sunrise, the Night to Remember Special Needs Prom. It was so beautiful. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week when we show a video recap, but I just want to say I'm just so proud of our church. And I, looking around this room, I see there's several people who were either volunteers or guests last night, and uh, it, was, it was an awesome night. Uh, you probably noticed the tent out in the courtyard. That was part of that as well. So uh, don't be alarmed, those of you who are, who are coming outside and wondering what that's all about. But before we start the message series today, I want to give you a little update on our Here to Stay giving initiative. As many of you know, uh, this past December, we launched into a, a two-year giving initiative to build a new Peace Center here on our Rialto campus. The Peace Center has become a, a resource center in the community uh, helping people who are in need, especially with food, as well as some other essential supplies. And uh, I'm telling you right now, the need for, for help is exploding. We can't keep up with it. That's why we're, we're looking to build this Peace Center as well as um, increase our investment in Kenya, Africa. And so we are so thankful for the people who have made two-year commitments and uh, are getting us closer to our goal. Thank, thankful for many people who are giving outside of those commitments. But one update I wanted to give you is that our elders have been really hard at work behind the scenes doing a lot of boring stuff in meetings. I won't tell you all the details, but thanks to their due diligence, our elders have been able to negotiate our price tag down, and because of all of their work, we're looking at saving up to $1.5 million on the overall project. So I'm so thankful for those men. They love the church, they love the Lord, and they are committed to investing a lot of time to see this thing through, and, and we're really thankful for that. And so today, we are beginning in a message series that's going to carry us all the way through Easter. It's going to be exciting, and uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into it. So without further ado, let's jump into part one. You know, Jesus is the most polarizing figure in the history of the world. When he walked the face of the earth, people loved him while others despised him. There's people who worshipped him as God and others who accused him of lying about being God. There were some who even lost their lives because of faith in Jesus while others put Jesus to death. Even today, 
opinions about who Jesus is, is is very divisive. There are some, like us here at Sunrise Church, who believe Jesus is the Son of God, while others would say, yeah, he's just a good man, good teacher, good role model, someone to be liked, not someone to be worshipped. Many people look at him as just another character in the Bible, because the Bible was filled with all kinds of extraordinary people. There were prophets, men and women who spoke on behalf of God, made predictions, even some who performed miracles, people like Elijah and Daniel, for example. There were priests in the Bible, men who who led the nation in the worship of God, prayed for the people, made animal sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. And some priests were, were folks like Aaron, the first priest, or this mysterious figure, Melchizedek. And then there's kings, men of great leadership and influence who led massive military campaigns or lived in great wealth, people like David or Solomon, for example. And so the Bible is filled with extraordinary people, prophets, priests, and kings. But did you know that only one person has ever had all three titles? In the thousands of years of recorded history, There's been only one person who was prophet, priest, and king, and his name is Jesus, and he stands alone from anybody else who has ever been in this world. And so as we ascend towards Easter, we are going to spend the next several weeks focusing on the uniqueness of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. And I think in the process, you're going to be surprised at just how much this matters to your life right here, right now. I think this is going to be an awesome, life-changing journey we get to take together as a church. Uh, In fact, we're even providing some resources to you uh, to prepare for the 40 days leading up to sunrise. That could be available on our website. Um, some some devotional-type guides with some fasting options. This Wednesday marks 40 days until Easter Sunday. So as for our worship services, here's the plan. We are going to spend today and next Sunday looking at prophets. The next two weeks, we'll focus on priests, and the following two weeks, we'll zero in on kings. All of this will culminate on Resurrection Sunday. And as we look at Jesus, the prophet, priest, and king. So, for today, we're going to do a massive flyover on prophets. So get your thumbs ready or your pens. We have a lot of ground to cover. So to begin our time, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 15. And we're going to parachute in on Moses and the Israelites right after they walk through the parted Red Sea. One of the most recognizable miracles in the Bible And the the Israelites walked out of Egyptian slavery into freedom. And as soon as their feet touched down on dry ground, they broke out into worship. They, they, They sung. They rejoiced. Three days later, it was a whole different story. Exodus 15, verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Forget about the fact that God could part a sea. Where are we going to get some water? Exactly 72 hours after the most life-changing miracle any of them had ever experienced, they were frustrated that they couldn't find any fresh water. They were tired, they were thirsty, and they were angry at God and giving up on their leader. 
This was the first of many instances where they grumbled against Moses. Like, who is this guy? Does he even know what he's doing? Who put him in charge? Why is he always speaking on behalf of God? Why can't we hear from God ourselves? Well, there's an old saying, be careful what you wish for because you might just get it. And God was about to answer their request. Exodus 19, verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. God announces it. Get ready. God's going to come and give the people what they wanted. He's going to come and speak. And so they need to prepare their hearts because God was going to show himself to the people on the third day. Hmm. Sounds like the foreshadowing of another event in the Bible. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Earthquakes and fires. Sounds like weather in Southern California. (laughs) Fires by themselves are scary. Earthquakes by themselves are scary, even the small ones. Put those together at the same time, mix in some thunder and lightning and the sounds of trumpets blasting, and now you have the arrival of God. How would you respond if you were in that moment? This is how the people responded. Exodus 20, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. You see, what the Israelites experienced in this life is something all of us are going to experience in the next life. At some point in time, we are going to stand before Almighty God in all of his fury and majesty. And another thing is going to occur. We're going to suddenly be aware of just how sinful we are in the presence of a holy God. Have you ever had an unexpected guest pop by the house, sitting around in your sweatpants, Hair all ratchety, big meatball stain on your shirt. All of a sudden, there's a knock at the door, and you answer it. And when you see a guest there to visit, suddenly you become self-conscious about your appearance. Right? You start trying to fix your hair and you know, cover up your clothes, and that's just for a guest. Imagine standing before Almighty God with all of your mistakes and embarrassments and secret sins laid bare. You'd be, you'd be crushed by the weight of of your own sin. And when this happened, look how the Israelites reacted. It says in verse 18, they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. They all wanted to hear from God directly, but when he showed up, they sure changed their tune right quick. They couldn't handle it. Because of the weight of their sin. And so they begged him, please don't speak to us. Send somebody else. And so God could have just went hands off and said, all right, look, I tried to reveal myself to you. you. You couldn't handle it. You didn't want it. So you're on your own. But the God of the Bible is one who's constantly initiating, constantly trying to make himself known. And he's willing to remove the barriers to make that happen. And so once again, he answers the prayers of the people. This is recorded in Deuteronomy 18. 
God said this through Moses. Verse 16, For this is what you asked for of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. If you ever wondered why God spoke to people through prophets, here's your answer. Because they couldn't handle hearing from God themselves. So he gave them somebody they could listen to. Somebody like them. Somebody whose words God gave to them in a supernatural way. Now there's a lot of confusion in our world about prophets and prophecy. And so I want to give us a working definition so that we can all be on the same page. And so here's what prophecy is, quite simply. It's God's truth spoken through human agents. At the core of prophecy is truth. And a lot of us tend to associate prophecy with you know, future events and, and, and things that have not yet come to be. And that's part of it. I mean, the last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. It speaks about end times events, things that haven't yet transpired. But at the core of prophecy is truth. And so prophecy really has two aspects of it. Primarily, it's proclaiming, but it's also predicting. And so let's break these two down so that we can understand them really well. Let's first talk about proclaiming God's truth. This is simply speaking or announcing or preaching God's truth. Not the watered-down version of truth we hear in our culture today. You know, hear people say, oh, this is my truth. That's your truth. There's no my truth or your truth, only the truth. Truth is not in the eye of the beholder. What happens when my truth contradicts with your truth? Two opposing things can't both be true in the same way at the same time. Occasionally, we might hear people say, there is no truth, to which you could simply ask, is that true? <laughs> to claim there is no truth is by itself a truth claim. See, there's... There's only the truth. And prophecy is that God sent people to proclaim, to preach, to announce this truth to the world. And that wasn't an easy assignment. You know, when you read about the prophets in the Bible, God gave them a word and sent them to go preach. And a lot of times they couldn't carry that weight. An example of this is the prophet Jonah. Let's read about him in, in Jonah chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Here's what he said. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So God sent him to go to what we know as modern-day Iraq and go preach against their sin. Instead, he hopped on a boat and headed toward modern-day Spain, the other direction. Can you blame him? I mean, who among us would want to go to the Middle East and preach to the people about the wickedness of their sin? We'd all be hopping on the first ride out of town, too. Now, in this case, God uh, famously intervened and got Jonah back on track. But you can see, it, it's hard. That's a hard assignment. You see, God didn't give prophets the assignment of, hey, go into the city and tell everybody everything is fine. Just follow your heart. Just go keep doing what you're doing, and everything will work out. No, often the message was, go wake those people up before they die. This was a hard task to hold. 
In fact, Jeremiah, another prophet known as the weeping prophet because of the toll that this kind of stuff would take on him, said these words in Jeremiah 20, verse 8. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. The prophet Jeremiah flatly admitted, this is heavy. This is hard. I'm tired. Everywhere I go, I face hardship. And the prophets were were mistreated all the time. They They were put in stocks, locked in dungeons, abused physically, had accusations hurled at them. They had to flee for their lives. Many of them died. Friends, God didn't pass a clipboard around the room and say, hey, sign up. Who wants to be a prophet? Instead, they got the assignment, and they had to be faithful to that, to go and proclaim his truth. It was hard, but the good news is how many countless people were saved because God loved them enough to send someone to tell them the truth. Proclaiming God's truth is the primary role of the prophet. So there's proclaiming, but there's also predicting. Now, this is what most of us probably associate with prophecy. Uh, God either revealing some future event that has not yet happened or giving people a supernatural ability to see things that have not yet happened. An example of this from the Old Testament would be Joseph. God gave Joseph a a prophetic, supernatural ability to interpret dreams of future events. And when the Pharaoh of Egypt was being tormented by a dream that no one could interpret, Joseph stepped up to the plate and told him exactly what it means. Here's what he said, Genesis 41. It means, seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. And what happened seven years later? A famine hit, exactly as Joseph prophetically predicted. The good news is Egypt was ready for it because Pharaoh listened to the prophet. And he put Joseph in charge to create Egypt's first peace center. He used the years of abundance to build up a food supply to to be able to stave off the seven years of a famine. And how many countless lives were saved because they listened to the prophet. Imagine the destruction if they said no. Unfortunately, that was more often the case than not. And perhaps the most famous uh, example of this was the destruction of Jerusalem. The prophets warned them. In fact, let's go back to Jeremiah. Listen to these warnings in Jeremiah 25, verse 4. He says, And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways, your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord your God gave you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not Follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. Verse 7, but you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you've aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says, 
this. Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I've got a friend who's going through one of those Bible-in-a-year reading plans, and he's telling me that he got to the prophets. He's like, man, this is really depressing. It's nothing but anger and destruction. He's not wrong. But there's good news in there, too. There's God's warnings. If you stop now, get off this bus, change your ways, you'll be okay. And a few people listened, but the vast majority did not. And what happened? You could read about it in any world history book. In the year 587 B.C., Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. Exactly what Jeremiah prophetically predicted. And because they did not listen, countless lives were decimated. So there's proclaiming and there's predicting. Now, by the time we get to the New Testament, prophecy shifts a little bit. In the Old Testament, uh, prophecy was geared all towards Israel, but in the New Testament, it was geared toward everyone. But despite this, prophecy was still uh, human agents delivering God's truth, proclaiming and predicting. And an example of this was John the Baptist. Let's take a second to read about him. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 2. It says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John the Baptist was not just the fulfillment of prophecy. He was himself a prophet. He proclaimed and he predicted. The thing he proclaimed, the thing he preached about was repentance. Come get baptized. That was his message. What did he predict? Verse 7. This was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What's fascinating about this is up until this point in history, God had primarily only revealed himself as God the Father. But now John the Baptist was prophetically predicting that God was going to reveal himself as the other two persons in the Trinity, God the Son and God the Spirit. This was fulfilled when Jesus showed up at the Jordan River to get baptized, and as soon as he did, John the Baptist lost his mind like, there he is! That's the guy I was talking about! As for the Holy Spirit, that came about too, only it needed to wait a little while. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit arrived on a day of a special Jewish festival. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2. It says that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so on this day, something new happened. Now God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit indwelled every single believer and they were doing miracles. In this particular case, 
they were proclaiming God's truth in other languages. These uneducated, uncultured Hebrew men somehow were able to communicate to, to all of these foreigners. It was a supernatural, miraculous event that we know as the speaking of tongues. And there's other miracles that occurred during that time. Miraculous healings and deliverances, as well as prophecy of, of all kinds, predicting, proclaiming. In fact, as the Gospels started to spread to Europe, there were so many Christians prophesying, it actually started causing a problem. So much so that the Apostle Paul had to step in and give them guidelines for prophesying. This is what he said, 1 Corinthians 14, 39. He said, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So in these church services, there's people all prophesying at the same time, talking over one another. A whole bunch of people speaking in foreign languages. It was total confusion. Paul's like, what's going on here? Listen, we need to reflect the God of order because he's not a God of chaos. So let's make sure we do this in a neat, decent, and orderly way. And so one of the questions many believers wrestle with is, is these, these prophetic predictions, visions, and, and these kinds of things, and speaking in tongues. Are, are these things that still happen in the church today? Well, there's two schools of thought on this. The first one is this. Same God, nothing has changed. And so the same Holy Spirit that empowered people, followers of Jesus back then with miracles, is the same Holy Spirit who empowers believers today with miracles. Same God, nothing has changed. That's the first approach. The second approach is same God, but something has changed significantly. What changed? We now have this the complete Word of God. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the Bible. It was still being written. So they needed prophets to give them new revelation. In the New Testament, they didn't have the Bible. It was still being written. And so they needed prophecies and, and sign gifts to give them new revelation. But the argument goes that now that we have the complete Bible... New revelation from, from prophetic gifts or speaking in tongues is no longer necessary. This is the position that I hold. I believe that God gave us the full, complete record of all the prophets, therefore making new revelation unnecessary. Now, let me qualify that position a bit. First of all, I have close friends who are part of churches that speak in tongues and, and have these prophetic visions and things like this, and uh, believe that all believers should be doing this as well. And uh, their church services look a little bit different than Sunrise. <laughs> Maybe some of you have been to that or come out of that kind of background. And this is what I would say. As long as they love Jesus, preach the gospel, and follow the Bible, we can lovingly disagree as brothers and sisters in Christ. Second thing I would say is this. I've had the opportunity to travel all over the world. And I could tell you, I've seen some things and heard some things I can't explain. Things that I believe were miraculous works of the Holy Spirit. And I think especially in places of the world where they have limited or no access to God's word, I believe the Holy Spirit works in miraculous ways. Did you know that there are over 7 
thousand people groups in the world that have never even heard the name Jesus, that have no access to God's word. That's 42% of the world's population. And I believe in places where they don't have access to the complete word of God, he absolutely uses miracles to make himself known. And the third thing I would say is this. I believe that prophecy is active in the church today, just not the predicting kind. I believe the proclaiming kind is what is still active. Because if there's ever a time to proclaim God's truth, that time is now. And we, followers of Jesus, ought to ask the Holy Spirit to help them proclaim God's truth into the world. So what, what do we do with all of this? Uh, how does this matter to my life today? I'm going to give you a couple of takeaways that come in the form of uh, some questions. And so here's the first question I would love for us to ask ourselves. Number one, do I know God's truth? Do I ever read the Bible? And again, there's the truth, the truth, God's truth. What we have available to us today compared to what believers back then had, it's night and day. I mean, in many ways, we're living in the golden age of the church. We have both the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures. Compared to our forefathers, it's like what they had, they were stepping onto the battlefield with a sword and a shield Whereas what we have is like going onto that same battlefield with full armor, a full arsenal, and driving inside of a tank. I mean, imagine what our forefathers would have given just to see the, the complete revelation of God in one place. We have the full record of the prophets. All of the historical books, the gospel accounts, the completed work of Christ, the, the letters from Paul, poetic books, prophetic books, written over the course of 1,500 years. And do we read it? Nah, I'm good. I'll figure it out myself. I'll just find out what other people are doing, or maybe occasionally I'll come to church. I'm sure somebody will tell me what to believe. Friends, do we know God's truth? I mean, Paul himself, who, who only had limited access to the Bible, had these words to say in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us what we need to navigate the challenges of life. And there's some of us who are frustrated, like, I can't hear from God. Yes, you can. Here you go. If you don't know God's truth, how would you even know if God came to speak to you? You wouldn't even be able to know it because you don't know God's truth. you got to start here because there's a, there's a lot of error in the world. And there's a lot of people who are claiming to be prophets who could lead us astray. This, this has always been the case throughout human history. But it's, we started to see an uptick certainly around 2020 with the last presidential election. And unless you were living in a hole, you remember what the dominant story was. Former President Trump believed he won the election, not President Joe Biden. What you may not know is before that, there were several people claiming to be prophets of God who predicted that Trump would win the election. And when that didn't happen, that left him in a quandary. And a handful of them repented and apologized, but the vast majority doubled down. 
I said, no, 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 it's true. And they've kind of changed the message and said, no, it's not that Trump was going to get the election in 2020, but that he was going to win the next election in 2024. Friends, it's 2024. And this November is a presidential election. Mark my words. So-called prophets are going to be coming out of the woodworks. You're going to hear about it from your friends. You're going to see it in social media. This is where we have to know God's truth, to be able to measure it against here. Does, does God's word say it? Is it consistent with God's character? i got to know the truth. But on a personal level, we could have a lot of problems too. You know, there's a subset of our staff that gets together every week to talk about the, the message. And one of the people was sharing this past week of a woman who who, who was in her home church, and this woman's husband was dying. And a so-called prophet said to this woman, God told me that your husband would live. And if you've ever been in a situation where you were losing a loved one, you grasp onto any hope you can get, as it turned out, this woman's husband died. And so when the prophet came back, he didn't repent or apologize. He said, he said, instead, he said, no, my prophecy was true, the reason why your husband died is because of your lack of faith. Friends, that is what we call error. Because if you know the truth, you could look through it and realize, you know, Jesus healed people with lots of faith, and he healed people with zero faith. Our faith doesn't determine the miracle. We put our faith in the miracle worker and trust him with the results. Friends, we have to know God's truth. Otherwise, we're going to get swayed around by all kinds of error. So the first question I think we need to ask ourselves is, do I know God's truth? Here's the second question. Do I show God's truth? Is my life aligned with the truth of the Bible? And again, there's, there's, there's no my truth or your truth, only the truth. But here's the reality. Most people are not on a truth quest. Most people are not searching for the truth. Most of us are on a happiness quest. We are following our hearts to whatever makes us the most happy. But there's going to come a point in all of our lives, whether we look for it or not, where we are going to have to reconcile, what do I do with Jesus? Do I reject him or do I follow him? Jesus himself said these words in John chapter 8, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said the true followers of Jesus are the ones who align their lives to his teachings, who show the truth, not just know it. And a lot of us look at the teachings of Jesus, and it feels restrictive. Jesus' message was the exact opposite. No, it'll set you free. And there's some of us in here who we need to be set free we, we know what we should be doing, but are you showing it? Are you showing it in your sexuality? Are you aligned with God's truth, or do you know that you're out of alignment? Some of you are smoking weed, getting drunk. That's not what God wants for you. That's, that's not the truth of his word. Some of you are, are stealing at work or sneaking around behind your spouse's back, or loving money, loving ourselves, loving the way of the world. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 we got to turn from that stuff. It's not enough to know what's right. Our lives have to actually show it. 
And at some point in time, we have to ask ourselves, am I with Jesus or not? Am I going to follow him or not? And if your life is out of alignment with the teachings of Jesus, today is a great opportunity for you to cry out to him and say, God, I need to get back on track. Help me do what I need to do. Help me cut the things that I need to cut. Help me make the changes I need to make. Listen to these these careful commands found in Proverbs chapter 8. And so my children, listen to me. For all who follow my ways are joyful. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. These are the words that are echoed by the prophets, saying, God is at the door. He's knocking. Are we going to let him in? And maybe there's some of us in here today who've never surrendered to Jesus, and maybe even now in this moment, you sense he's knocking at the door. Are we going to let him in? Are we going to surrender to him and say, I want my life to show your truth? And if you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to help you do that today. In just a moment, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's just a confession of, God, I can't do this by myself. I can't save myself. I need you. And then it's asking him to come into your life and change you. And so if you've never intentionally prayed a prayer like that, I want to invite everyone right now, bow your heads and close your eyes and consider where your heart is before the Lord. And if you want to receive Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, then I want you to repeat these words after me in the silence of your heart. Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I surrender to you. I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you're my Savior. I believe you died in my place. Will you forgive me? Will you come into my life and change my heart so I could leave my old ways behind and live a life that pleases you? I want to be free. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you're somebody who prayed that prayer for the first time today, we want to encourage you to let us know. Here's a simple way. In your programs that you received, is a, on the third page is a card. This one folds and it tears off. And you can fill that out in just a moment. Our ushers are going to come through and collect today's offering. And you can just drop this in the bag. And one of our staff people will come by and see that you checked the little box that says, um, I said yes to Jesus. And they'll follow up with you. Just have a conversation about what this means. Maybe there's some of you who've already prayed to receive Jesus, but your life just isn't showing it, or you're stuck, or you just want to get going and take your next step. Here's a really simple way to do that. Grab your phone right now and text the word next to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people will exchange a few messages with you to help customize a path for you to take that next step. Maybe that's getting you in, in, in a small group or serving, or maybe you just need somebody to talk to. You want to get back on track. Text next to 909 281 7797. We also have a table in our lobby that says next steps right above it, and somebody could have a conversation with you today. 
Friends, when, when we talk about prophecy, it, it ought to make you just a little bit uncomfortable. It ought to make you just a bit uneasy, maybe even a bit frustrated. Why? Because God's truth is heavy. You know, there's been a couple of famous movie lines over the years. And there's one particular movie where Tom Cruise played this lawyer, and he's cross-examining on the witness stand the character played by Jack Nicholson. And in this dramatic courtroom moment, Tom Cruise yells, I want the truth! And Jack Nicholson yells back, you can't handle the truth. Friends, the reality is most of us, all of us, can't fully handle the truth. The prophets couldn't fully handle the truth. Jonah ran. Elijah fell into a depression. Moses couldn't fully submit. In the New Testament, a prophecy got abused. There's prophets who complained, resisted, rebelled. If only there was a prophet who could fully handle the truth. If only there was a prophet who could proclaim God's truth without wavering. If only there was a prophet who could fully submit to God. If only there was a prophet who could live out the very words he was proclaiming. The good news is there was and there is. And we're going to talk about him next week. So think about who you can invite with you to come to church. Until then, yeah. <laughs> Listen, until then, let's know God's truth and let's show God's truth. Jesus said, you are my disciples if you hold to my teaching and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray on behalf of our church, and if there is any person in here who claims to follow you, but their life has gone out of alignment with the teachings of Jesus, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would convict our hearts and help us today to start the process of making these changes. Lord, give us what we need. We know you already have, so give us a heart that's willing to, to surrender to the things you've given us, Lord. Help us to make the changes we need to. I pray if there's anybody in here who's never surrendered their heart to Jesus, they would not leave this place today until they've done so. And as we continue in our worship through the giving of gifts and offerings, Father, I pray that our hearts would be cheerful as we know that these gifts put in your hands can be multiplied and make an impact all over the world. We need you, Jesus. This world is hard. We need you, Jesus. And so we cry out to you right here, right now. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you believe it in your heart, then let the church say, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word NEXT to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one -one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. 
Again, we want to thank you for listening and we hope to see you soon. God bless.